0: Hi, Nika here, the founder of Urban Remedy. I hope you're enjoying this episode with Regenerative Organic Alliance Executive Director Elizabeth Whitlow. Here at Urban Remedy, we love sharing exciting news with our listeners, so I'm proud to announce that our new Sun Squares and Superfood Cookies will be hitting the shelves in Vancouver and Toronto, Canada, in August 2023. We're super excited to finally bring our Food is Healing mission to Canada. For all of our U.S. listeners, be sure to listen to the end of this episode for a special offer. Now back to the show. Hi, everyone. It's Nika, the founder of Urban Remedy, welcoming you to the You Are Love podcast, inspiring health through food, lifestyle, and making conscious choices. Today, I'm speaking with Elizabeth Whitlow. She is the executive director of the Regenerative Organic Alliance, a nonprofit organization that oversees the certification standard, promotes, and supports the Regenerative Organic Certification Program. Combining the best practices from USDA Organic, Fair Trade, and High Bar Animal Welfare Standards, Regenerative Organic Certified is a revolutionary new certification for food, fiber, and personal care products. It goes beyond current certification criteria and meets the highest standards in the world for soil health, animal welfare, and farm worker and social fairness. Elizabeth boasts an impressive 25-plus year career in the field of organic agriculture. And prior to joining the Regenerative Organic Alliance, Elizabeth worked across a broad spectrum of elevated certifications, both in farming and ranching. Elizabeth's work as the leader of ROA has been featured in a variety of national publications. Wine Enthusiast magazine featured her on its Future 40 list in 2022, and she has delivered keynote speeches at numerous conferences on the importance of regenerative organic farming as an aspirational objective for global agriculture practices and necessity to mitigate climate change and social equity in the agricultural sector. Her 2020 TEDx talk, Better health is literally underneath your feet, has been viewed globally. Above all, Elizabeth's greatest honor is to serve the planet that is in tremendous need of each and every one of us. As she's known to point out, in the 37 seconds it may have taken to read this brief bio, the earth has lost the equivalent of 18 soccer fields of living topsoil. The solutions to our modern-day ecological crisis lie beneath our feet. Thank you so much for being here, Elizabeth. I'm really excited to speak to you today.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here as well. And uh, I had been wanting to meet you for so long. And then there we were passing as uh, I would think I was leaving and uh, you were moving through the beautiful Swedish hall there. Um, but yeah, I'm really glad to a chance to talk I was, to you more.
0: I was fangirling and trying to chase you as you were running out. I was like, wait, <laughs> I want to
1: talk to you. That's very sweet. Uh,
0: you also came to Urban Remedy one time, a long time ago. I don't know if you remember. Of
1: course I, I do. It was in the yeah. very beginning.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I have some cool photos of that I'm going to share with you. As I, I want to hear your story. I want to start out with that and really hear how you got into this space. And I just want to make a comment. I love the last thing that we, we talked about in your bio about the solutions to our modern day ecological crisis lie right beneath our feet. I think I, I've been to... You know, a bunch of seminars and get togethers of people in the food industry. And it's always so interesting to me because I feel like so many of the solutions that I'm hearing about are related to tech and research and, um, you know, things like new food additives and things like that. And it always blows my mind because nobody is talking about just going back to, living in harmony with nature. And I would love to actually hear your story and then let's dive a little bit into that, that part of it.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, you're, you're totally um, that's after my own heart. There is this idea of like we've got all of these really crazy, fanciful high-tech solutions to problems that um, could really be solved uh, by looking at back how we used to do things and thinking really pre-green revolution. Of is is if you're going to be talking about agriculture and how we approach um, the growing of our food and our our nourishment, our sustenance, and um, our clothing and and all of the things we humans use um, from building materials to um, personal body care products, it, they all come from the ground, right? And so, um, yeah, I think there's there's a lot to explore there, and I'd be happy to do it with you. My um, beginning journey here into working in agriculture was back in, right after I finished college, I was waiting for a Peace Corps assignment and I had some time. I found an internship in the Ozarks of all places. I um, went to the hills of Arkansas and I was um, working at a place that was um, called Meadow Creek Project. It was founded by David Orr and it was a center for sustainable agriculture and renewable energy. And David Orr was kind of, of of the same mindset and worked with Dr. Wes Jackson, Amory, and Hunter Lovins. And they were all looking for solutions to many of the problems that they were seeing happen in, in the 80s. And, um, yeah, so I, I started learning about agriculture. I had no idea, really, at that point about the power of agriculture to be a solution uh, to so many of our problems. And at the time, I got really excited about local food systems and growing food locally and looking at regional food sheds and, and um, kind of looking at the, the impact that our food choices was having on the planet, where we were at the time, the average calorie on our plate traveled about 1600 miles. So this was pre-Michael Pollan and Omnivore's Dilemma. And there was just like it was so much excitement in this this whole movement for me, uh, learning about growing food and reducing the miles that food had to travel to get to our plate. And um, so it's interesting because I picked it up then, and I've been pretty much on that journey ever since. And um, this job here with the regenerative Organic Alliance, came about where um, Patagonia, as one of our founders as I think you know, we had were founded by Patagonia. Dr. Bronner's and the Rodeo Institute and Yvonne Chenard had come across the work of Dr. Wes Jackson and, and wanted to do something with the Kernza that Dr. Jackson was working on perennializing this, this grain, this perennial grain, taking it and making it into a crop that humans could use for consumption. And here it is, you know, 30 years later, <laughs> practically. And, um, I, I, I'm so lucky because I get to work with farmers who are growing Kernza for commercial production.
0: That's so cool.
1: Uh, Well, Patagonia General Mills has jumped in. There's other brands doing this where they're trying to bring this really beautiful grain into the marketplace and uh, bring it to consumers. And it's just, um, it's kind of was a full circle. And that was a bit of a long rambling story of how I, I got involved in this. I love it. Yeah, it's, um, been really fun. I learned about the power of agriculture. I kind of changed my whole direction, and headed out west eventually to get my get a graduate degree and focused on agroecology. And uh, that work, uh, I was at. I did my master's up in Washington State at the Evergreen State College, and ended up working in coffee for some years, um, shade-grown, fair trade, organic coffee, working in Central America and eventually landed in the Bay Area and, um, and then Sonoma County. And so uh, from there, I, I began working. I needed to find a job locally for, um, you know, working in farming. And I, I happened upon this job with California Certified Organic Farmers back in 2000. Uh, it's a pre-National Organic Program. And it was just getting ready to go into place. And so I got to see how organic looked before the federal government got involved. And then I spent um, much of my career there about 16, 17 years with CCOF, um, doing that work and visiting organic farmers all over the great state of California, mostly in the north, but then expanded as CCOF grew. Um, I was working with a lot of our livestock producers and traveling around the country, working with those folks and spent a lot of time with organic farmers, learning about their challenges and helping them really learn the value of, first of all, like keeping really good records, and that's something that organic farmers have to do and, um, and, and and just helping ensure they understood what was required for them to be compliant. So I was an inspector, but I also was a huge advocate for farmers, for organic farmers and helping them understand and helping them along their path. Um, so yeah, that's that was uh, what led me to this role here at the ROA and has always been something to consume me is just farming, working with farmers and growing food.
0: I love that, and I love how you know just your story how you just fell into it. It's like the universe kind of brings you to where you're meant to be, and how you followed your path. That's I love that. You never know what's going to happen. Um, part of one of the most important parts of living in harmony with nature and living you know within the natural cycle of the world is eating local seasonal food. You know, it's, it's such a an important part of being healthy and, and being in the rhythm. And it's so crazy how You know, most people don't even think about that and, you know, are just eating like food that probably, you know, eating avocados that come from, you know, many thousands of miles away or fish, you know, that is coming from the other side of the world. What are some tips or things that you can share about eating local um, that you've learned
1: a first tip, go to your farmer's market. Okay. Like that's, that's the first thing you do. And, and you know, if you're on a budget, go at the end of the market because farmers often don't want to take that food home with them or they're willing to sell seconds. So that's a really good way. Like people often talk about how, you know, right now food is so expensive Mm -hmm. and we're seeing this everywhere. And so, you know, if you go to a farmer's market and go towards the end of the market, then you know you can you can probably have some cost savings and you're also going to be buying what's in season and so what is really plentiful right now and so that is probably the best thing for you to be eating if you think about it um there's you know in the summertime right now we're we're coming in at our markets we've got asparagus and fava beans fava bean tips and greens and things like that and um coming into the summer we're going to have a lot more fruit coming on and um, i I love to preserve the harvest, and this is something that i I feel like during covid a lot of people did this. they started because of course, yeah you know, really uh, a, a rude awakening to what was going on in our supply chains and the vulnerability of our supply our supply of food and so people started growing their own food and canning and making things at home and you know, if you do that and getting into fermenting your food,
0: yeah,
1: is a really great way to extend a harvest, to um, use local food and reduce the miles that your food travels and, um, and create food that is really healthy, much more healthy, full of the microbes that we know are so much better for our gut microbiome. And, and I do like to talk a lot about that as well, like looking at the soil microbiome as a mirror of our gut microbiome. And I know you've had some amazing guests on your show and you, you know this very well. And I'm sure your guests do do know this also that we, we have a very, like we have so many microbes in our gut and that we are, I think it's 10 to one ratio of like microbiomes to cells in our body. And so we're basically, we are more micro than we are human in some ways. Right. Yeah. Yep. And um, like if you are eating food like that, you're feeding your gut microbiome and there's nothing better for your health than to feed that and keep a healthy gut microbiome. And it affects our mood. It affects so many things um, in our in our bodies and our well-being. So, you know, eating local seasonal food is a really great way to do that. Um, So that would be my biggest tip. Go to the farmer's market and grow your own.
0: I love that. And. And then on the other side of that, you know, if people are eating, you know, a lot of conventional produce or highly processed food, you know, that do you want to talk a little bit about what that does to the microbiome?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, it, you look at, you know, if if you're eating a diet that is coming from a very depleted soil, then you have to make this leap to think about the food that is grown in depleted soil and propped up with um, chemical fertilizers and um, synthetic um, chemicals like pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, the plants aren't healthy, just like the humans. So they need to be propped up the same as, as we're feeding our body with that kind of food, we're not going to be vibrant and thriving and we're going to need other types of supplements. And, and there's a lot of research going on right now, very emergent science around the bionutrient availability in food that is grown in healthy soil versus the bionutrient availability of food grown in depleted soil. So um, there's many different scientists looking at this. You've got the Ectisis Foundation. Um, our our founders, the Rodeo Institute, has done a lot of research on this. And there's certain types of, um, there's all kinds of research coming out. So if you look yeah. on their website, you can find uh, some of the evidence of this. And I think it's going to keep increasing as we get more um, just more elaborate in yeah. like looking at the DNA. If you look at like a soil test from years ago to yeah. looking at a, like the DNA of the soil and the soil microbiome, they're wide, vastly different.
0: Yeah. And even from like a simplistic level, we are nature and nature is us, you know, because we're everything is so connected and intertwined. and um, I think you know if you just look at the rates of chronic disease in the United States and and what's happened in in, in ag and like monocrops and all that. I think there's a direct correlation between you know chronic inflammatory diseases and disorders and and the way we farm. But let's go into. I think a lot of people might not even understand what the regenerative certification even means and really what it is like compared to organic. So I'd love you to talk a little bit about that.
1: Yes, I will. I just want to give one little statistic that I love about that, that cheap food, you know, like our modern food systems have evolved to deliver cheap food at any cost. And and what is the problem? It is like every dollar spent on food in the U.S., actually creates $2 of negative impact to public health and the environment. And that is straight from a Rockefeller Foundation report that um, is, you know, started really looking closely at this. And the Rockefeller Foundation has been doing a lot to try and fund um, a transition back towards healthier systems and looking at the real public health cost of our cheap food system.
0: I mean, that is so critical. And that's why I would say, you know, if there's one, like, if you can't get into, like, you know if you're a busy person and you feel overwhelmed and you don't know what to do just by buying or certified organic or regenerative, you're voting with your dollars and every time you do it, you're putting money towards that so it is you know just by doing that you you're doing something to support the health of the the planet
1: absolutely yeah um it's it, it definitely you know, a multiplier effect, and so when you spend your money on those kind of foods those that that money goes a lot further in those communities and um, and continues to build healthier communities. And, and we see that a lot. there's these organic hotspots studies um, showing where there's more organic farms there is um, there are more organic processors and the economy is doing better. People are making higher wages, people are healthier and um, there's just more promise, more growth in those regions. so, it's definitely something I think is really fascinating, this looking at organic hotspots. But you had asked me about like, what is the difference um, between organic and regenerative organic? And I I live and breathe that all day. So I'm happy to dive into that. And um, first off, just why was the regenerative organic certified program created? And, um, you know, if you look at our founders, these are three, Companies, organizations who have organic as their DNA, right? Patagonia had committed to all organic cotton in the 90s. Bronner's was always about all organic and fair trade, and everything they did that they could was organic. And the Rodeo Institute, of course, we can credit Rodale um, from J.I. Rodale to Bob Rodale to bringing to now it's Maria Rodale and her daughter Maya bringing organic to America in so many ways through their, through their publication house. Most of my books on organic gardening and farming came from Rodale for many years. Um, You know, so they've done a lot of work on that and they all love organic and wanted to continue to uphold the principles of organic. But at the same time they were seeing a need, this came around 2017. And this is when, you know, there's a lot of concern about, Uh, some downward pressure on the national organic program on the federal rule for organic and concerns and wanting to keep organic strong because everyone recognized that this is the strongest claim that we have with organic. You know, you, you are free of GMOs, no uh, persistent pesticides. There's there's um, as you know, going through your organic certification, there's a lot of requirements to document and ensure good traceability Prevention of contamination and commingling with non-organic, and all those different factors. So organic is really important, but it had this downward pressure, and there was there were issues with hydroponics in particular, and that's where there was bitter divide among people in the organic sector, and it was pretty tragic. I was I happened to be there at that National Organic Standards Board meeting when the vote happened, and it was eight to seven. And the the voting member of the NOSB who voted, who was the eighth vote, she cried. She cried as she did it. She was really conflicted. And I wish she had voted no, (laughs) but she didn't. She voted yes because there was this appeal being made about, hey, organic shouldn't just be for the wealthy and the elite. It should be accessible to people everywhere. And if lawing hydroponics lets people grow it in urban areas and you can do it with a low carbon footprint and all this other Rhetoric—it wasn't really true. And really, what happened after they began allowing hydroponics was um, a very downward slope for um, for a lot of producers, but in particular, tomatoes and berries, because those were the ones that were really coming in cheap from from Mexico, mostly in South America. And and so you know, having things be organic that were not grown in the soil—they're grown in containers that are, you know, grown propped up on a sterile growing medium with imported fertility products organic but still imported fertility and and put in plastic clamshells like it just nothing about it really ecological or spoke of building healthy soil. So this is how the founders came together like hey what are we going to do? All right, let's let's come together and let's talk about our vision for the future of agriculture. And gosh, organic is really missing on animals. They're really messing up Livestock, there's factory farming of livestock. That was a problem. And then the often overlooked component of every other program, except fair trade, is there's humans here. These humans are being exploited just like we're exploiting the soil. Just like, so it's, we've got a whole social component that they wanted to see build into this new framework for agriculture. And that's how they came up with the regenerative organic certified framework. There's three pillars soil health, animal welfare, and social fairness. And so each of those pillars are are have their own set of criteria or practices described that farmers can demonstrate they're doing on top of organic.
0: For farms that were already certified organic but weren't certified regenerative, what is the percentage of farms that were already using the regenerative practices in order to become Certified regenerative. I'm just curious.
1: Anecdotally, from my observations of years of doing inspections in these regions up north, that um, many, many farmers were already implementing a lot of these methods, but um, there's certain questions that I never could ask. It wasn't part of an NOP inspection. You don't ask a farmer how many times they tilled that land. You don't ask them why they're tilling so often. You do look at a crop rotation record. You do look at compost applications, but they don't have to apply the compost. Um, they, you know, there's a, one of the tenants that I think is really key in our standard that you will find nowhere else is, um, you, you cannot convert land to farming, to, um, Organic agriculture, you cannot convert pristine um, ecology, like a a really intact ecological system or a, a forest. You cannot cut down an Amazon jungle and plant organic soybeans. That one's really key in some regions some areas it's not so much. It's, you know, you've already got established farmland, but you, we had to set a date. So it's like 2015 and onward, no conversion of pristine land into agricultural land. And um, that's, you know, I think there's a lot of differences in our standard that I could get into in more detail. Um, You know, but it's it's really, I'd say that is an interesting one that Differentiates us. We that's also have so beautiful.
0: Food. I love that. That's just such a beautiful. I would. I never. That never even popped into my mind. I, that's amazing.
1: It is kind of amazing because if you think of all the soybeans that we're importing from Brazil and you know, cattle that come from Brazil that could very well be organic, those could be wiping out species forever from our planet. You know, we are we are down. Like, what if we have forty percent of our Insect species are have gone extinct, and another thirty percent at risk of insects and pollinators because of chemicals, agricultural chemicals, and agricultural practices, um, and and just urbanization and climate change. Like we are wiping out species above and below the earth, and it is um, something that I think we we all need to be paying attention to and considering in in every decision we make.
0: Yeah, I just saw this little clip that Dave Asprey had on of all people, but he was saying that um, that earthworms are having seizures a certain amount of um, measurement below the soil, and that it's not being measured by the government. It's in relation to, I guess, pesticides or chemical. I don't know if it's glyphosate or whatever it is, and how the government isn't monitoring that. And if the earthworms Aren't part of the soil? How the soil is going to die, and how detrimental it will be to like our whole food system.
1: Oh my goodness! Yeah you you had a um, um, a guest on your show who kind of blew my mind recently with um, conversations about um, about the soil microbiome. But that was startling when he yeah. and I had this conversation for the first time, and I hadn't even put it together yet about what's happening with that. You know, like if we introduce um, genetically engineered seed treatments, when we do because we are, and they go on the ground and wipe out the soil microbiome, what then?
0: Oh God, yeah, it's it's so scary. I
1: I live and breathe in this very hopeful environment here at the ROA because of the people I'm surrounded by and and the farmers we serve and the brands I get to work with. Like all I, all I do is come to work and, and see solutions to our problems, and and there are. There are thousands of them, right? There are so many solutions to our problems. It's just that big money wins, big money corrupts, and, and we have to be vocal. And so it's it's a great, this is one of the reasons that you are doing such a service to the community to help educate people on this. Like You've had so many great guests who have been... Outspoken and educating people on that, John Rulak and my friends Carol and Ken from Lotus Foods, and I love them. Jessica from the Organic Center. So you know you've got you've had some really great guests on there, and thank you for the work you're doing, and also for the beautiful food you're bringing to the world. Aww, I
0: thank you.
1: I yeah. have to tell you, I discovered Urban Remedy was at um, the Napa Farm Market at oh, the SFO. Yeah. yeah, I love that because it always means I can get off on any journey with a nice, uh just something healthy to eat on the plane. I'll grab some of those delicious little bars that you make, the matcha ones, and and it just feels so good to eat. You know, when people eat like that, they feel better. And if people could only eat that every day, you know, we'd all be a lot better for it. And so would the planet. So thank you.
0: It's so true. Thank you for saying that. I was just went on a little trip this last weekend and I hadn't been at the SFO airport in so long. And I went in there and I was so excited to see all the urban remedy stuff. And it was so fun. We went to the, I was with my son and we went to the gate and so many people had urban remedy salads. And it was so fun. I was just like, look, there's another person. And sometimes, you know, we used to, ha- we are in some hospitals. And, um, one time I was at Kaiser, uh, my son's teacher was in the hospital and we went up and we were visiting her and she was eating, you know, her hospital food. And it was like, obviously non-organic, like low-fat milk with, you know, and and like the craziest food. And I couldn't even believe it. And I was like, I'm going to go downstairs and get you it's like, let's see what they have at the cafeteria. And I completely forgot that they had an Urban Remedy refrigerator at that time down there. So I went down there and I, and and it was so cool because I was with my son and a group of doctors and nurses were sitting at a table having their lunch and they were all eating Urban Remedy. And my son went up to them and he's like, my mom makes that food. And so we, I, I got to talk to them for a while, you know, just about what we're talking about, the importance of like eating this kind of food for your health and, and the fact that even in hospitals, they're serving, you know, probably the most inflammatory, devoid of nutrient food that you could eat. It's just such a, it, it just makes zero sense. It's so crazy.
1: A farmer reached out to me yesterday. He's working with the food as medicine coalition. And he said, Hey, Elizabeth, what's going on with this? They're trying to define regenerative. Um, How can you like, what's going on with this? Can you help me? Can you give a definition from the ROA? Because we want to link it to organic. And I'm like, yes. He said, doctors don't seem to have any idea about this. And I said, no, they don't. Doctors typically, I think in most medical schools, there's not a lot of focus on nutrition. And so- they don't come out of medical school on like really knowing the value of a healthy food. We've got some doctors in, in the Bay area, right? Dr. Daphne Miller down there at SF state. And, um, you know, we've got a few others around, uh, here, but it's, it's such an important thing for like our institutions, hospitals, and where children like we like in Denmark institutions and schools get probably nearly 100% organic food. If you can believe, It's like insane how different it is here, where we're serving the worst of the worst, and we've got Insure going to cancer patients, coming out of chemo. The last thing they need is sugar, and it's the second ingredient on the Insure ingredient list, probably. It's just- baffling to me but
0: um and seed oils and like gmos and i mean it's it it really is it's very backwards and we're so i mean i'm so lucky you know to live in the bay area cuz there's obviously so many conscious people and more um doctors that you know are familiar with the importance of diet but you know you go to other places and i was my cousin has a inflammatory condition and you know, I was trying to help her with her diet and whatnot. And, and she said, you know, I asked my doctor, Nika, if I ate, you know, this way, which was organic, like, you know, colorful plants and just super clean. And he was like, no, that is not, you know, there's no evidence that, and I know this has changed somewhat, but you know, that diet you know, is going to affect your condition. And lo and behold, she actually went for it because nothing was working for her. And she literally got a hundred percent better. All of her symptoms went away, everything. And she couldn't understand how the doctor wouldn't know this.
1: Alzheimer's, asthma, cancer, heart disease, all type two diabetes, all coming from our diet. Like the things we spend the most money on for the medical industry are almost all diet related. So You know, it's just like, how is it that we can't get the truth to the people about big pharma, big food, big ag and these insurance agencies like they don't care about the people. They aren't trying to keep grow healthy people. It's and so I think that's like the biggest message to help educate consumers on is um, that they, they don't care about them and that the best way they're going to take care of themselves is to eat a diet that is, you know, full of greens, healthy local foods and uh, organic foods at that. And, you know, I I know there's a lot of conversation around vegan versus, you know, meat. And I am more of the mindset, like we work with a lot of farmers of livestock and um, I love the reducitarian approach, which is less better meat. Yeah, right? and, I totally
0: um, agree. I am not a fan of any of those highly processed uh you know, quote, in quotes, plant-based meats that are made of you know a lot of crap. Um, I just did this a podcast with Dr. Robert Lustig, and he was we were talking about this, and he was saying, you know, one of the difficult things in the way that you know the whole medical system works is one, like you said, there's he had zero training on nutrition um, and diet and the role that it plays in helping his patients, you know, heal or you know reduce their symptoms. Um, and then, you know, he goes really deep into the fact that, you know, the pharmaceutical companies are funding medical schools and then they're really just being taught what drugs to give. And then, you know, on top of that, you know, people are eating this, all this unhealthy food from Big Ag. And it's just like, it's a sick system, you know, it's a keeping people sick system. It's not a healthcare system, like we call it. Right. A
1: sick system is. It's really appropriate. Yeah. He's written a lot of books on that, um, that whole thing, right. The fat, fat chance. I think.
0: Yeah. And it's so great, you know, that he had a wake up call, you know, and is not scared to call it out. Cause sometimes it's, you know, difficult to talk about that kind of stuff. Cause people get very offended or don't want to under, don't believe that our medical system, you know, isn't geared to really helping people heal. Um, Let's talk about the topsoil a little bit and how you talked a little bit about it, but um, you know, how the soil affects our health and the health of the soil and and how that kind of relates to farming and regenerative farming.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I'm going to first outline some of the core principles of regenerative farming that are really about healthy soil. And uh, there's a lot of agreement on this. So there may not be agreement on whether regenerative should be always linked to organic. That is our position, but there is agreement on the regenerative practices that really keep the build healthy organic, healthy soil and create more organic matter in the soil. So one is around tillage. I mentioned earlier, you really want to minimize the disturbance of the soil because when you go through there with heavy equipment and till the soil, especially tilling it really deep, um, you, you are crushing the microbial life on which everything depends. So you don't want to till in um, an aggressive way, you want to keep the soil covered. We are, um, topsoil is eroding at unprecedented rates and the IPCC scientists are estimating that we have about 60 harvests left. If we continue to lose topsoil at the rate, we lose it now. So keeping soil covered so that it does not erode and blow blow away or wash away with heavy rain or rain in general, um, you want to have Diversity. You want to bring in more diversity, not just monocrop after monocrop. You have to bring in more diversity and um, have crop rotations that are really proactive. You don't grow the same crop over and over again because you just keep wiping out. You, you deplete the same nutrients from that soil, and you're taking away, taking away every time you harvest, and you're not giving back. So eventually, the soil has got nothing left to give. It's kind of like the Giving Tree. <laughs> Think about the um, beautiful old book by Shel Silverstein. You know, you just keep taking and taking. There's nothing left to take. But if you keep the soil covered and you feed the soil microbiome, you, there is this incredible process, the alchemy, the beautiful magic that happens with photosynthesis where plants, plant leaves are able to grab with sunlight and seal carbon dioxide out of the air, convert it into sugar, takes it down into the plant roots, down into the roots it goes through the xylem, basically like, like in our body, like the veins goes through the plant down into the roots and through the root hairs and into what they call exudates. And the exudates are what are, um, you can't see with the human eye, but they're at the end of all the root hairs and the roots. And this is what is really feeding the soil microbiome and the, the soil microbiome, they learn through cues that are emitted through the plant roots, what that plant needs They break it down in the soil and they deliver it to the plant roots in exchange for the sweet little exudates. Like it's like you can, Elaine Ingham calls it like a a tasty treat that feeds the soil microbiome and then that further feeds the plant. And then there's this beautiful virtuous cycle and circle of growth and death and decay. And as plant roots decay, they feed this, they they create um, more carbon, more soil organic matter, and it builds healthy soil. And so that's really the the key to everything is building the healthy soil. And those are some of the core methods that everyone agrees on. Another one is integrating animals. There is certain magic that happens. I've heard farmers say that, and even Jeff Moyer, who is the chair of our board and the CEO at Rodale, and that you can't, there's no faster way to build healthy soil than to incorporate animals and graze them in a holistic way. Rotational graze them and the animals deposit manure, they urinate. The saliva in like a ruminant when they're chewing and by taking bites of the grass, there's something activated through the animal saliva that further activates the soil microbiome. It's all living. And, and so bringing these living systems into synergy with each other creates a, a more functioning system.
0: I love that. And there's no, like, like the beauty and the, like, it's just like a a symphony, like how it all comes together. There's no way you can replicate this process, which is inherently just part of our life. And, you know, and the, the earth that we've all lived on, you know, since the beginning of time.
1: Yeah. I love how that's a symphony. It is just a symphony. Um, Oh, so many different parts, making all this, you know, together makes this beautiful music. And and recipe for life. So, yeah.
0: That's so beautiful. I love that. Um, wh- if we talk about climate change a little bit and how you were talking about the reduction of soil, and we have about 60 seasons left, um, or not seasons, you said 60 crops.
1: 60 harvests, they say. I- yeah. um, w-
0: what are things that people can do? Like, What are some of the um, things that you guys are working on to either reduce reduce this 60 harvest or, you know, what are, what are things one that people can do and two that we as a culture can do to kind of slow this down?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the, as I was just describing that whole, um, soil kind of that cycle of, um, carbon, healthy soils has the potential to sequester more carbon than we even emit. So that's one of the real big takeaways is like the more we build healthy soil, the more, more carbon we can sequester. And so we can slow down climate change. Um, the other thing that is really important with regenerative organic agriculture is that the, the farms, the plants become more resilient and, and they're healthier so they can withstand the pressure of weather extremes. So climate change, we know climate change is happening and, um, You know, climate change is making it harder to farm Is you have drought and rain. Look at the atmospheric rivers we had here in California this whole winter after four years of wildfires, chasing people, burning people's homes, chasing people out. Like, imagine how crops were doing in that week long heat spike we had last year, right at the end of the season, right at the end of harvest. And we had about a week of over 115, 120 degree days here in the North Bay. Completely unprecedented.
0: Oh yeah. And we had, we had, we had so many out of stocks because we couldn't get lettuce and all kinds of,
1: oh, yeah. of different, yeah, yeah. it was really difficult. Everything fried on the vine, burned in the field. Well, I had regenerative organic farmers who Claimed that they had, like, especially some of the vineyards I work with up here, said so during that time they were out, and all the neighboring vineyards, the grapes were sh- just shivered and drying up, and their plants were still green. They still had enough moisture in them from all the water that was retained. Wow. plants were just healthy. You could talk to Evo at Gergich Cellars any day about this, and um, he he will talk. Had always like so. he, He went, he saw it, he took photos. I can also share like examples from other farmers. Um, another vineyard that we work with a lot down in Paso Robles, Tablas Creek, they had all these atmospheric rivers sitting over them this winter, and there was flooding and so much loss, soil eroding away. And they showed photos of all the water standing on their neighbors' vineyards and on their fields. The water was being absorbed into the soil because the soil becomes like a living sponge.
0: Wow, in that it, is amazing.
1: Yeah, same like we have a monsoon in Arizona where we have a farm that grows heirloom wheat. And the monsoon came, 100 mile an hour winds whipping the soil away from their their neighbor's fields. Um, the soil was all in the air and blowing away. And you looked at Oatman Flats uh, and, and there they have all this cover crop. And the, the rain just being absorbed and going into the into the soil and into the roots and, and being preserved for later for the farm. So, you know, these farms are just creating more stable systems and more resilient plants. And, you know, one of the things I think is really important is, um, you know, as we look at regenerative organic certified in a way that is very inclusive, very holistic to address many of our most pressing problems of climate crisis, factory farming and fractured rural economies, um, because this is this is also about the farmers and the farm workers being exploited and the rural economies that are suffering. And if we can shore those up and stabilize them, people stay where they are. They don't become migrants. They don't run for America because they need a job because they can't live in their own country. They stay home, they make a living wage, and they're able to farm and live with their families. And so And I think there's a lot of other really important aspects to this where we're we're looking not just at the soil, but at the communities that we impact and the people and the animals who live in those communities.
0: You know, what you were just talking about could end up being a great reason for farmers to move to regenerative, you know, agriculture, because if they're losing their crops and their crops aren't withstanding, you know, the different changes in weather... Um, you know, it, they might think that it's more expensive in the beginning, but if your crops are thriving and able to withstand, you know, the different degrees of weather that are happening, that could be a great reason for somebody right there to make the change. So hopefully we'll see more of that.
1: It is a great reason. And Nika, if I could tell you how many times I have heard this from farmers in the last year, as I go out and I invite farmers to come with me on panels and talk, you know, just at different conferences and time and time again, from whether it is a rice grower in California, a grape grower in Mendocino, a coffee farmer in Honduras, and just was in Japan last week with um, rice farmers there. What they're seeing is more resilient systems, more productivity, better profitability, and less problem with disease and pest. And I hear it over and over again. So I have yet to see any regenerative organic farmer in our network who says, Oh God, this is not working. I'm yeah. going back. I'm going back to conventional. I'm going back to just organic. Like it is like, they're all drinking this crazy Kool-Aid and I wish I could get them all together. I, I
0: now they'd be you cool know. to do a little video or something. When I was just at this conference and you know, I think I mentioned this a little bit before there was a bunch of people up there that were talking about um, research that they're doing into like um, the exact macros of every ingredient. And it was like, I don't know, there were so many millions of dollars behind this. And then other people that were making some other synthetic, you know, thing that's going to lower the glycemic index of food and, and on and on. And, and it was just crazy to hear all of this, like, there is a solution. But all of these people are trying to find other ways that are never going to solve the problem that are just going to prolong it or enhance it, which is, um, which is so crazy. So, um, okay, one last thing, because I know you have to go. There's been other regenerative certifications and some sort of um, type of greenwashing around regenerative. Can you speak to that as our last topic?
1: Okay, what is going on with all these regenerative certifications? Yeah. Regenerative is a huge new buzzword, right? It is everywhere. 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 And the problem that I see is that there are five new regenerative certifications, none of which have attached it to organic. And so if you're going to do regenerative and it's not going to be organic, what does that mean? So that means you can have regenerative claims on products that are grown with GMOs, that are grown with um, synthetic fertilizer and pesticides. So it's really critical to attach organic to regenerative, number one. Um number 2 certification as much of a pain as it is that we started off this conversation talking about how challenging it might be it's actually not that bad you it's about good record keeping and it's not as costly as people say um and if you don't have certification you don't have third party certification by a third party coming in and doing that and it's a self proclaimed marketing scheme it's going to the the movement will be ruined yeah because it will be greenwashed into nothing. It'll become just like the claim for natural
0: or yes. sustainable.
1: So I'm really um, I'm very bullish on requiring third party, credible, meaningful certifications. And so that's why I have focused so much of my energy on that at the ROA. I come to this job with a, a very extensive background in many different certification schemes Every, almost everyone on my team is a farmer and or worked in certification as an auditor or in some format. Um, they have been involved in this sector because we all have been through this and we understand how valuable it can be. So you know that's my my biggest um, push there is that it has to have a meaningful credible certification behind it, not some kind of a self checklist or a virtual audit or you know a 15 minute application process and, and somebody's going to come out and visit you for an yeah, hour. That's
0: crazy! Are you guys going to work on some sort of like government certification or some sort of standard?
1: I don't know. I, I know feel that's probably
0: really big. <laughs> that's what would be a big, it's, that's
1: a, big, it's a big topic. Um, I understand the CDFA is in process of defining regenerative. And so this is a really important moment for all of us to let anybody at CDFA Know how much we value organic. It's really important to the state of California, to our economy. We're the biggest um, organic producing state in the nation. We export a lot of organic food. We have a lot of consumers who like organic. And so, if regenerative comes out and doesn't get attached, it gets defined as not attached to organic. The regenerative movement—it's going to eat organic for lunch, as a friend of mine has said. And we don't want that. And we don't want consumers to be duped, and they will be because people are looking for solutions, people are desperate for solutions. And they're also, um, you know, really worried about um, financials with the inflation as it is. And so that's a really important point. And I'll just say like one, share one thing from Expo West, the biggest natural and organic trade show in March. Um, There's a marketing firm that spins that is doing some research on this. And 66% of consumers, 80% of young adults are willing to pay more for products that speak to their values, and so they've been doing some analysis, and it it showed certified regenerative organic had a sixty nine percent price premium.
0: I, I actually saw that as one one of the, the women who from uh, Expo who runs it. I forgot her name. I'm, she's so wonderful. She she was showing that data at this conference I was at, and then it's so interesting, you know that there's all these companies like, I don't know if you've heard of Perfect Day Foods, but um, that's the one that Mark Squire was telling me about, you know, that, you know, are making it into Expo West when they're creating this ingredient that's never been tested on humans, that's made from animal genes mixed with, you know, GMO fermentation process. And so it's so overwhelming because there's so much out there And, you know, there's so many foods that are greenwashed and ingredients and all of that kind of stuff. And I just go back, like, it's so much better to keep it simple, like just eating simple food that you know what it is, you know what every ingredient is that is certified organic or certified regenerative is probably your best bet for staying healthy and avoiding these things that have never been tested for human consumption.
1: Yes. Gosh, I had um, I, I noticed that on a flight recently that I, um, there was their snack bags and it says contains bioengineered foods. I was shocked. Totally shocked. And yeah, I think, you know, know your farmer, know your farmer eat locally, eat in season. And uh, for sure, when you're going to the store, look for regenerative organic certified. We have made so much so many gains. We are now at almost eight hundred and fifty thousand acres We have about 100 brands now working with us licensed to um, bring regenerative organic certified crops to market and to to consumers. And so it's going to become more and more widely available. We are in food, textiles, and body care. I love that. Yeah, we're really gaining a lot of traction. This is going to be a huge year for us. We have 14 certifiers who will be working, doing this work for us around the world.
0: That is so incredible. And I, we, we try to use as many regenerative certified by you guys ingredients as we can. So we use, we have like Lotus rice and a couple of our, our items, but it's so fun to start learning about new farmers that are being recently certified and, and trying to partner up with them. And, and, um, Anyways, thank you so much for the amazing work that you have done, um, and your organization. It's really literally changing the world. And the more we can get this out there, and people can understand, you know, how their choices make a difference, and speaking up is so important. So I just I can't appreciate you more in everything that you've done. It's absolutely amazing.
1: Well, I give that same appreciation right back to you, and I thank you so much for all you do. I'm always stoked when I see the bright colors of Urban Remedy case and know that I have something really healthy on on its way. So thank you so much. And, you know, with the work you're doing, you're supporting all these farmers. And so, you know, we, I'm happy to provide you with a list. We have a farmer directory on our website and I have a list that that will show you like here, I've got an amazing walnut producer. I would love to introduce you to please,
0: I would love that.
1: Oh my gosh. That would be amazing. He is like a incredible human with his family now farming here in California, we've got regenerative organic certified walnuts and almonds. And I know there's a lot of use for nuts in the beautiful food you're making. So yes, I'll introduce- use walnut. Yeah, use yeah, walnuts.
0: Yes, any introduction. And it's great, you know, again, just bringing it back to the consumer, like the more you're supporting all of these Lotus Foods and all these brands that are using regenerative, it is one step, you know, towards healing our planet. Just by voting with your dollars, so it can be—it doesn't have to be so confusing and complicated.
1: No, it really doesn't. You, we really have a lot of power in our own hands to go right around the corner. There's farmers' markets all over this country, and there's farmers all over this country. So know your farmer, and um, and when you don't, go buy urban remedy.
0: Thank you so much, Elizabeth. I really, really appreciate having you on. It was so fun. Thank you for joining us at the You Are Love podcast. For more episodes just like this, please subscribe. This is Nika, and I'm wishing you a beautiful day. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Elizabeth Whitlow as much as I enjoyed speaking with her. Now for your special offer. For all U.S.-based customers, you can add the code URLOVE25. That's U-R-L-O-V-E25 25 for $25 off your first order at www.urbanremedy.com. Tell your friends and family and always remember food is healing.